on Hitting the Mark this week, we're talking about Milton Burrow, and I'm here with Ray and Cindy bringing back happy memories of my friend. I can relate to that greatly. You know, I've been in the business since I was a kid, and uh, people in my life tell me I was never a child. My personal circumstances made me become an adult way too young. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can relate to that. And maybe Milton and I had that in common. When we talked about our families, there was a, we understood each other. Now, I'm, I'm not in any way suggesting that my success has been on the level of Milton Burroughs, but we were peers. He trusted me. Uh, and I passed the, the rite of passage for people that Milton really liked and trusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took me into the men's room with him. Yeah. Well, we're in a story and um, everything was true. Everything was true. Um, and he did it on purpose because he knew that everybody talked about it. And for those of you who are listening, what we're saying is that Milton Berle, among the other blessings from God, was blessed between the legs. And yeah. um, he liked to show it off to people. Uh, if he liked you, if he trusted you, right? You know, there's the wonderful story that Buddy Arnold told me at that very first lunch we had. The Friars Club in Beverly Hills, besides having the best smoking room I've ever been in, they had a filtration system in that place. Now, I have lung issues, and I could go in there and smoke a cigar, and before the smoke was out of my mouth, it was out of the room. You inhaled nothing. Wow. I don't know how they did it, but it was brilliant. Besides that, an incredibly delicious food. I mean, the best I've eaten in some cases. Um, It had a gym and a steam room and a sauna. And Milton was coming out of the sauna one day, wrapped in a towel. And a guy walks over to him and says, hey, Burl, I hear you got a big one. hundred bucks. Mine is bigger than yours. Now, Milton knew everybody in the club. I'm not kidding you. He knew what you were working on. He knew your background. He knew everything about you. And he also knew who wasn't actually a member. And he said, sir, you know what? I come here to relax and not deal with the public. And you're obviously somebody's guest. So please, on behalf of the Friars Club, please enjoy what we have to offer here. But this conversation is inappropriate. The guy would not stop. Come on, Burl, a hundred bucks. Put up or shut up, put up or shut up. And finally, Buddy Arnold turned to Milton and said, oh, Milton, just pull out enough to win. (laughs) Did he actually do that? Yes. Oh, wow. There are people who say that that story is apocryphal. I'm telling you, I heard it with Milton. So if Milton was lying, then why came from him? It wasn't somebody else making up a story. Okay. Wow. He could have done adult movies. One uh, star. Yeah, let, let's not walk down that path. <laughs> but Milton, you know, that aspect of Milton is like my having red hair. Yeah, it's interesting, but unless you're going to engage with it, who cares? Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not what made him famous. It's not what made him funny. It's not what made him nice. It was just a thing. Yeah. Now, Milton Berle basically worked in the Jewish community 
growing up or was he working with everybody all the time? I mean, how did that work, you know, with him early on? To answer your question, I have to define a few words for you or explain a few things to you. It's a great question. Don't get me wrong. At the turn of the 20th century, if you're talking about Jewish places, the only places you're talking about are the Catskill Mountains, the Jewish section where people would go to vacation in the summers, where Jews would entertain, but so did non-Jews entertain there as well. Or you're talking about the Yiddish theater on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. However, if you're talking about nightclubs in vaudeville, there were proportionally a whole lot more Jews and Italians who went to nightclubs and who went to vaudeville than the other folks, especially in large cities. People of high society found going to vaudeville, going to a nightclub to be déclassé. We don't do those things. You know, we hire people to come to our homes and entertain. We go to the theater. We go to the opera. We don't go to low-class things. Milton was appearing in burlesque. He was appearing in vaudeville. He was appearing in nightclubs and occasionally on Broadway. So his audiences by nature were more Jewish than you would think, but he did not do Jewish shtick. Uh, he did not pander. He did not use Yiddish in his act. His act was for everybody. The stuff he did was for everyone. Uh, it wasn't Milton Berle, the Jewish comedian. It was Milton Berle, the great talent. And everybody could enjoy what he did. So it's, it's kind of a yes and no answer to your question. Yeah. I, I, you know, during his career as he began to get a little bit older, he did radio, um, he worked with Rudy Valley. I was wondering, you know, in that era, um, did Rudy Valley have any influence on what, you know, Milton Berle eventually became? Rudy Valley, you have to equate Rudy Valley being spontaneously funny with someone's inability to pass gas after a Mexican meal. Hmm. Just couldn't come up with it. Rudy Valley was a fad. He was a voice at a time when people didn't sing like that. He kind of invented crooning, the idea that you didn't sing out like in a Broadway show or an opera. For that, and because he was a handsome when he was a young man, he was famous. However, he was universally disliked by everybody who worked with him. He was foul-mouthed and unpleasant, egotistical, disliked anybody more famous than he. So yeah, working with Rudy Valley was just a way to get to the next place in his career. But uh, working with Rudy Valley, I don't think influenced Milton at all. Milton was never the star on radio. He was in other places because so much of Milton's humor came from his physicality, from the, the faces he made and his ability to interact spontaneously, not just from a script. Where radio, you're standing there in front of a microphone with a script in your hands and you're hampered by what the script tells you to do. It didn't give Milton the room to be Milton Burrow. Milton Burrow was too expansive for radio. 
he did it. He had his own radio. In fact, the Texaco Star Theater was first a radio show yeah. before it became a television show. So Milton was on radio all along, but he was a much bigger star live than he was on radio or in movies. Milton made lots of movies through the years, always playing somebody's best friend, somebody's sidekick, eventually somebody's father. But there were almost no films Milton Burrow in. There were some television things, some dramatic television he did, Milton Burrow, and then he was wonderful. Turns out Milton Burrow was also a wonderful dramatic actor. The man just oozed talent. It's just truly, truly, truly blessed by the creator. There was almost nothing he couldn't do. He could sing, he could dance, he could write. His television shows, he directed, he produced, he wrote lyrics. The man, I, I can't think of an area in show business where if Milton applied himself, he could not do it. Did he ever struggle with anything off stage that would inhibit him from being greater than he already was? I think his mother, the relationship they had brought him down enough sometimes that it was a struggle for him to shake off whatever argument they just had and get on a stage and perform. Uh, I think age was a problem for him, like it is for many people in show business. Mm -hmm. You cannot gauge today what a huge star Milton Berle was starting in 1948. The man had already been in show business something like 35 years by that point. But the show called the Texaco Star Theater, eventually called the Milton Berle Show, it debuted in June of 1948, the same week that Ed Sullivan debuted his show, which was originally called uh, Talk, of, uh, Talk of the Town? Close to the Town. Close to the Town. Sorry about that. Uh, eventually, both shows took their stars' names. But there was hardly anything else on television. And if, if you watch the Texaco Star Theater shows, Milton was wonderful, wonderful monologues, wonderful openings. He was a wonderful MC. He knew how to keep a show moving. He knew how to bring variety. Because basically, uh, his shows were a television version of a vaudeville show. Jugglers and dancers and singers and comedians and sketches. And uh, it became a thing with him that he came out at the beginning of the show in some wild, outlandish costume. Eventually, I think the first one was Cleopatra, where he dressed like a woman. The audience reaction and the critics were so kind to him for that, that the opening became him in some sort of drag week after week. I can't tell you how many people have asked me if Milton was gay or transvestite. No, he was oh. doing... Not that there's anything wrong with being gay or a transvestite, but that wasn't who he was. He was a performer who found a piece of shtick that worked for him like I have my sparkly hats. And through the years, even in the 80s and 90s when he was working, when he did somebody else's show, they found some way to get him into a dress. He didn't ask for it, the writers did. And he happily conceded and, and, did it, and got the laughs, always. Yeah, he was something. He just had that, you know, the it factor, and he was able to do so many different things in showbiz, and not only do them, but he did them well. And I think that he just had the, the drive 
along with the talent to, uh, you know, have his career last as long as it did. And it didn't stop there. I mean, just think of the movies he made in the 60s. I mean, it's a mad, 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 mad world. That was one of the greatest movies in the history of, of cinema, I think. There's, um, a lot of, there's a lot of stories about that film. On Hitting the Mark this week, we're talking about Milton Berle, and I'm here with Ray and Cindy bringing back happy memories of my friend. Aren't you glad you're listening? Because if you're a Milton Berle fan, you're hearing a whole bunch of really cool stuff this week on Hitting the Mark with me, Jeffrey Mark, and Ray Carr and Cindy Ribbon. When you talked about him being in drag a lot, not that this character was, but the character that James Caan did in For the Boys, was that based on Burl? No. Okay, I wasn't sure. No, the character James Caan played in For the Boys was based on Bob Hope. That film is a loosely based fictionalization of Bob Hope and Martha Ray. Bob, Bob Hope and Martha Ray did a series of films together in the 30s. Oh. And Bob Hope was that all-American rah-rah guy, right, who supported the Vietnam War. Martha Ray in real life got training to be an RN so she could actually help when she went overseas. Martha Ray went overseas in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and uh, I think think, I could be mistaken, uh, the Middle East stuff we had in the early 90s. And if they were short a nurse, she rolled up her sleeves and she was a nurse and was decorated for that. But it, it negatively affected how people felt about her. There were times Martha couldn't get work because she was seen as a, a, a hawk on war, that she was promoting war. Just the opposite. She hated war. And she wanted to make the boys better and bring them entertainment and bring them medical help if she could. So unfortunately, her beautiful heart, because Martha was a friend also, her beautiful heart ended up backfiring in her face. And so for the boys is kind of a disguised version of that, just like the film New York, New York is a disguised version of Doris Day's early career. Mm -hmm. But I'm shocked that if, if it was based on truth that Bob Hope was the SOB that James Caan played. Oh, exaggerated it, but Bob, Bob Hope was about Bob Hope. Bob Hope was wow. one of the greatest self-promoting people in show business history. And uh, it wasn't that he wasn't a nice person. He was, but he had tunnel vision. His shows, his work, his career that's all that existed for him. And sometimes there were casualties because of that. Wow. Bob Hope was a part owner of the Cleveland Indians for a time in the 60s. Oh yeah, they wrote a whole I Love Lucy episode around it. Ray, did you see the movie for the boys? Me? Yeah. I have no idea what that is. Bette Midler and James Caan. And James Caan was like the all-American guy that entertained during all the wars. And one of his writers had a niece who was Bette Midler, and they needed a replacement, so he asked her to come over. And they got along like oil and water initially, and they came off stage, and uh, George Siegel, who played her uncle, said to her, 
are you kidding? You two are going to be an industry. And that's basically what they ended up being. They, they became like the way Lucy and Ricky were in terms of popularity, but he was a real son of a bitch. She got on stage wearing um, a general's jacket and nothing else because her dress ripped all the way around the middle. And she had not rehearsed, so she panicked a little and did some dirty jokes. And he got really pissed and said, put her on the next boat back. And he was just a real bastard throughout the whole movie, even though you kind of knew they loved each other anyway. Mm. I just don't picture Bob Hope being a son of a bitch. I mean, that's a new one. Uh, as we know, we don't know what we see on the screen and on the stage isn't really... But you should rent it. It is good. She sings a few times, but it's in the story. I just can't picture Bob Hope being an SOB. Well, like I said, he wasn't. It's not, I said, loosely based fictionalized. They okay. made him worse because it made the movie better for him to be worse. Okay. But, um, wow. but Bob, Bob did cheat on his wife a lot and Bob did, was huh. very, very wealthy and did rely on his writers and cue cards and um you know there, there's 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 stuff about bob that wasn't all positive but that could be said about all of us i have a feeling we're about to find that out because we're going to interview his top staff writer right he came out with a book about his entertaining the troops right martha bolton martha bolton yeah the only female writer he had oh really she came along like in the 70s or 80s and hmm. um if you you'll go through his canon because i've had to do that lately for the new lucy book uh i'm talking i'm using a, a different writer who's a friend wow. of mine uh oh. Robert, bob mills um and she, she was an anomaly in his life that he never had female writers yet i i believe she is the only one he ever employed well, she's the one that's doing it because his daughter says every time I do an interview, they expect me to be funny, and I'm not funny. Well, and, and Linda's in her 80s now. You know, it's at, at what point do you stop working yourself? But she, this this woman writer, uh, again, she wasn't there for the big stuff. She was there by the time the specials were becoming like clip fests, okay. and Bob would come out. You know. Hey, remember when we did this right here? That kind of stuff. But I'm sure she has good stories to share with you guys. So you're still listening to Hitting the Mark. I'm here with Ray and Cindy, and we're talking about my friend, Milton Berle. 